You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. If you are looking to improve the performance and return on investment of your marketing, then you are in the right place. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this Marketing Focus podcast, and it's very, very cool to have you tuning in. Because this show is brand new, I'm running a competition where you could win a Keep Optimizing podcast t-shirt. Oh yes, a t-shirt. Now stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out how to enter. In today's episode, I'm talking to Luke Carthy about Technical SEO 101, because this month we're all about SEO. Whilst Luke and I don't agree on how many raisins should be in the perfect bowl of muesli, it's a long story, um, we do agree that the technical side of SEO is often neglected, but that it has the power to make big changes to your SEO performance. So I had to include an episode about it in our first month focusing on SEO. And in this episode, Luke's taking us through what technical SEO is. Uh, He's sharing several simple ways you can find out how good the technical side of your SEO is. And more importantly, explaining how to fix those common problems. I think you're going to find this super useful. And I suspect several of you, um, when taking action on these these tips you're going to hear today, are going to see some, some big improvements on your SEO performance. Now, we're just about to meet today's guest. But before we do, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 38,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact lists and emails that pop and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create Create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with SEO expert Luke Carthy. Luke started his SEO career client-side, and then after being invited to speak at MozCon 2019, oh yes, MozCon, he decided to go it alone. He now spends his days helping his clients deliver sustainable e-commerce growth with SEO and conversion rate optimization. One of the areas he regularly sees making big changes to performance is getting the technical SEO right. So it was a no-brainer to get him onto the show to help all of you improve your technical SEO performance. Hello, Luke. Wow. What an introduction. Thank you very much. That was uh, that was awesome. If you got any sound effects like in the archive, you just drop some like... <laughs> I don't know, some bombs or something. But that, yeah, that was that was really cool. Thank you. I did interview um, one of the earlier uh, Keep Optimizing interviews with Kurt Elster of um, Unofficial Shopify Podcast, who ha- who came with his own sound effects. It was quite, <laughs> quite disconcerting, all these noises going off. But, um, oh, my God. Yeah, so, uh, so no, no, we don't have any noises, but maybe that's something I need to look at doing for the show. But, but Luke, we shouldn't be talking about my production challenges. We should be talking about about you, we should be talking about technical SEO. But before we get into technical SEO, how did you yourself get into SEO in the first place? Um, in a single word, eBay was 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 where I started. So um, I'm old enough to to appreciate and memorise and remember uh, EMA from college, right? That thirty quid a week you used to get. And uh, I decided not to spend it down the pub, or at least not all of it. And I spent some buying some products. So I had a job at Curry's at the time, just to quickly talk about it. Um, job at Curry's. And I was working at Curry's at the time where you went from the big, fat CRT 
cathode ray tellies to the flat screen stuff and HD. So HDMI cables were crazy expensive and I saw a gap in the market to make them cheaper. So um, bought some stuff for Alibaba who hasn't and sold them on eBay for a, a juicy markup. And that was where I got my absolute buzz for e-commerce and kind of optimization. And it kind of stemmed and moved on from there. Well, of course, because getting um, doing well on eBay and Amazon requires a lot of the same skill set as for SEO. It's just it's a different search engine, isn't it? It's not Google, it's eBay. Yeah, 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 exactly that. So, yeah, everything from kind of getting people to buy to getting your um, visibility and, and everything else on the uh, on the listings and then what to pay on in terms of optimizations versus not um, images, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, that kind of just transitioned nicely into my first then uh, SEO or specific SEO role. But really the, the flavor and the taste and realizing this was a lot of fun came from eBay. Cool. Well, look, obviously one thing which you can't do a lot of when you're doing an eBay listing is technical SEO because you don't control enough things to be able to do that. But what you can do with your own website is a lot of technical SEO. And as I said in the intro, it's something which I didn't even, I'm not sure I even said this in the intro. It's something which a lot of people don't do because certainly in-house SEO, because it's a bit more scary than keywords and link building. So do you want to just give us the, the ins and outs of what technical SEO actually is quite quickly and and so people know what we're going to be talking about yeah the dictionary definition so it's basically making it as easy as possible um for search engines whether that's google or anything like a well any search engine really um to access and crawl and understand your site as easily as possible um that's the premise there's a lot more facets and, and things like that from that but i think to distill it down as as small as possible is to make it um, basically rank better better, and to make it much easier for search engines to understand what the heck is going on on your website. I would say there's kind of two ways to make a very quick, sustainable SEO improvement on your site. One is to do keyword analysis for the first time, you know, to suddenly put the right keywords in the right places. That can make quite a big impact on people's sites, but also getting the technical bit right. Because if you haven't paid any attention to the technical side of SEO, you could have been running a website that actually the search engines can only see half of, or they're only understanding 25% of because you've not set it up in the right way. And it's almost like opening the gate fully, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind of like setting up a storefront, right? So you want to make sure it's as attractive and as, as possible and as easy to use as possible. Um, but yeah, 100%. But I think also technical SEO sometimes, don't get me wrong, it can be technical, but it doesn't have to be. And it doesn't have to be super scary. So I think some people see the word technical in it and think, whoa, I can't do that. That's not for me. You need to have a wizard and, a, you know, you need to be a developer. And that's absolutely not the case. You know, I love technical SEO and I am by no means a developer. So um, you can get started in, in many different ways. It doesn't have to be super data science, you know. Um, I suppose that's the one of the interesting things about technical SEO is whilst keywords and getting them in the right places on the website, there's there's kind of a, a, a thin pathway that you can follow of options. But technical SEO is kind of like an entire atlas of options. So what's the first kind of technical SEO thing people should be looking at on their site? What's your go-to to make a quick improvement? Yeah. So go-to for me has to be, um, especially if we think about e-commerce and just sites with lots of pages and lots of different facets and URLs. Um, it's first to kind of understand just how many URLs Google has in its index for your particular website. So a really good barometer I like to use, let's say, to keep it simple, you've got a thousand products, um, 50 categories and 
you know, let's say another 50 blogs or something like that. So roughly 1100 pages. Um, if Google has something like a million plus for a website of that size, you know you have a big problem. Equally to the opposite side, if Google has say 30, 40, you know, a couple hundred, then equally you have another problem. So that normally is a really quick and easy way to just understand how much Google can see of your website um, and whether there's a big problem or not in either way. And it's really easy to do. You just throw in site colon into Google and then your domain name and it will give you an indication of, of just how many URLs uh, are there. But that for me is kind of like your, um, you know, you walk into a GP, you get your heart rate monitor and all that kind of stuff. That is 101 health check um, for your SEO of a site. Cool. So let's explore both those scenarios then. So if we have 1,000 product pages, 50 category pages, 50 blog pages, and when we do the site colon rdomain.com and we find that there's only 100 pages listed, how do we, and what's the first steps to solving that sort of a problem? How do we let Google see everything? Yeah. So first thing I would do is run a crawl really using an SEO tool. So um, big shout out to Screaming Frog. It's like a toolkit in anyone who does SEO. It's really cheap uh, and free to a point. Um, but just have a crawl and see what is going on because that is probably a bigger concern than too many pages. Not enough pages will kind of gives me the indication and will tell um, me as an SEO that Google and other search engines just don't care enough about your site to stick around or it's really slow. Um, or there's a, a, another kind of technical issue that's preventing Google from seeing everything. So um, doing a crawl of the site using your favorite crawler, say Screaming Frog, there's Sitebulb, there's OnCrawl, there's loads. Um, that will give you, again, just another layer of, of detail in terms of what's going on. So it could be, you know, not to throw too many scenarios out there because I could spend 30 minutes just talking about these, <laughs> but it could be, you know, the top level things to check are robots.txt file, Um and that's kind of like the the Bible, the rule book is how search engines must, you know, or must not engage with your site. Um, and then secondly, just no follow. If there's any no follow rules that shouldn't be there. So they're the kind of two things I'd check. And then, of course, using a, a crawling tool to really see what's going on. And that's kind of where you're at the, t the, the real cusp of kind of breaking open what the potential issues could be. And of course, robots.txt is the place where I think we've all heard the horror story of you put your site live, your SEO goes through the floor and you discover that that your your web team had not removed the no one allowed on this website alert, the one line of one line of text in your robot text file that tells all the search engines to piss off, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a obviously very simple to fix. So it's, it's a handy problem. <laughs> it is. It's really easy to fix, but it's also really easy to make a mistake. And it can also work the opposite way around, right? Where you have, I've seen clients who have got their staging sites, their development sites, their testing sites in the index. And it's kind of like that whole Oh my God, what have you done? Um, but yeah, it's really easy to get right, but because it's such a simple file and you're potentially working across many different um, URLs, it can be really easy to get wrong too. But. And I suppose if that's, if that's not excluding the wrong things, then that's where we get into having too many URLs in the index. So for someone who's got too many URLs, they've got that 1100 pages in our example, but they've got on to, to Google, they've done the search for site, colon, domainname.com and they found say 5000 pages what should they what steps should they take to um to sort that problem yeah so that's really interesting because 5000 sounds like a lot but that's not too bad like there's definitely bloat going on <laughs> but that's not too yeah. bad 
It can be um, a lot worse, can't it? <laughs> it could be. I've seen clients who may be, you know, 60 or 70 pages, but they're talking several hundreds of thousands of URLs or even a million. Um, and this is kind of where you get to the, oh, my God, you know, the, the real big, what the hell have you done uh, kind of scenarios. But normally, the, the and this is a bit of a, you know, a general rule, but the general rule here is um, if you have a lot more pages in the index than you have on your site, this could be down to parameters um, or facets or filters um, or anything that kind of spins and generates a lot of uh, user generated content like reviews and things like that. That's where you kind of get those bloat. And a lot of cases, it's unnecessary bloat. It's the sort of stuff that's going to dilute your SEO performance and not make it better. Um, and this is a real big issue on e-commerce sites for sure. So that's the bread and butter of what I do when I'm in the world of, of, of SEO for e-commerce clients. Because people might be thinking, well, extra pages must mean extra visibility. But it's a bit like, you know, you can, when you when you go down to, I'm going to sound really dated now, when you go to the library and you look for a book on a new hobby you want to take up and you see the one that's a thousand pages long and you see the one that's 30 pages long, it's a bit like giving Google the thousand pages one when really what Google needs is the 30 pages one because they need to understand your site and you're just giving them too much, which means they get lost and means the power doesn't go to the right places. So in that scenario, where we're trying to reduce it because we've got another um, guest in this series of sessions on SEO who's talking about how we can use those facets and that navigation, our size criteria, our color criteria to spin out extra pages to cover off our long tail keywords. So there's, there's good things about doing that, which can help, but there's also, it's not a black and white, is it? How much we should allow our facets to create new pages. So how do we work out where the happy medium is? It does go one or two ways. And I'm sure, like, it's Christine, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Christine is incredible and she's she's brilliant. Like, we, we have conversations about e-commerce just to the cows come out. It's brilliant. Um, but there's so many clients, and again, not even my clients, but there's so many websites that just get afraid of the kind of facet bloat and the filter bloat that are just say, well, just turn everything off. Um, and although from a technical SEO perspective, that's not bad, it is bad from a long tail perspective. And as we know, in the world of e-commerce, long tail is where it's at. It's the easy wins. It's the high converting keywords. It's things like size, color, fit, um, all kinds brands. of additional, exactly, yeah. brands, which make a real difference. So, you know, I think the, the, the middle ground is really not to allow too many facets. So to use a really top level example, if you have, um, you know, category one, and then you've got a facet of color, and a facet of size, you would allow color as a facet on its own, and you would allow um, size as a facet on its own. But what you wouldn't allow is color combined with size, because that then creates a whole, you know, when you scale that up across so many categories and so many facets, you'll quickly get into the millions, the hundreds of thousands quite easily. Um, That's the thing, isn't it? You've got all those separate categories you put down the side to enable someone to, to to use your website really well. And then all of a sudden you've got an individual URL for a blue t-shirt in size medium that costs 20 pounds <laughs> and is on sale and can be delivered to the US. And it's like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really need that. <laughs> as a page. Yeah. There's one person every four years who's like, yes, they got exactly what I want. But everybody else just doesn't give a damn. Um, but equally, not all facets you want indexing. So there might be a facet like, uh, let me think of a, so if you're on a really technical website where you kind of sell components or parts, 
Um, there might be certain parameters that just never get searched. So it could be something like an ISO standard, an ISO standard, which is great when you're actually on the site and filtering down, but no one's going to search for, for example, um, Cat6 cable ISO 9001-4, yada, yada. Like someone who's going to search for that is either a super geek or is someone who is, is just, they're not in the mindset to buy it. Someone who's in research and that sort of thing. So um, not all facets are created equal. Um, and yeah, you've got to be careful. Just got to think about what would the user want and how does the user search? And if the, the user doesn't search for that kind of facet or filter or option, do not allow it to be indexed because it's just a waste of time. It would dilute your equity entirely across the site. Excellent. So so both having too few pages in the index and too many pages in the index can be fixed quite quickly by applying rules and tweaking settings, which is is great news. I can see, I was going to ask you another question, but you're gagging to tell me something now. So, so Lou, what, what do you want to jump in with? Theoretically, yes. <laughs> um, but the minute you start getting product owners involved and you've got your CMS involved and your frameworks and your dev teams and they all gasp and say, yeah, but. Um, so in theory, it's quite simple, but in practice, it can be quite a challenge to get it done, um, especially if we've got any listeners who are on the Shopify um, CMS, um, which a lot of e-commerce brands are, of course. Um yeah, it's it's difficult. I'm not going to say it's impossible because it's not, but it's very difficult um, to get Shopify to, to be as malleable in facets as you'd like. Um, so, yes, theoretically, nice and simple in practice can be an absolute bollock. Yeah. And of course, I suspect almost for anybody, the first 80% of improvement is easy and the last 20% is also a bollock. Yeah. So, um, so we've talked about kind of the the... The core of technical SEO, which is making sure the right pages are in the index, whether there's too many or too little. Um, the, it strikes me that in recent years, the technical SEO side of thing has kind of expanded as Google's gone about trying to find websites that give a good customer experience, not just tell Google the things we want Google to hear. So has that made technical SEO more complicated or more fun? Or, you know, what have you found that change over the last few years? Yeah, so it's definitely more complicated. Um, but more complicated isn't necessarily a bad thing. As, as people say, you know, whenever a bad thing happens, you need to see the good in it. And I think that's, that's great, because the more difficult something gets, um, then it means there's, there's more opportunity to be competitive. So, you know, back in the day, you know, we're talking like exact match domain. So if you sold you know, red t-shirts specifically, which is really niche. I don't think anyone just sells red t-shirts, but you'd have like red t-shirts.com and then rank on page one immediately. Um, well, nowadays it's a heck of a lot more difficult, nigh impossible to have a new site with an exact match domain rank. So, you know, people who are serious about SEO um, often get rewarded provided it's, it's the right way around. But then, you know, again, um, we've got people like Amazon, eBay, we've got huge marketplaces, ASOS and all that kind of stuff. How do the small guys compete? And I think this is where the opportunities for the little guy um, to come through and, and, and rank among these people. And this is where long tail comes in. So this kind of ties back into facets. This is giving an experience that you wouldn't get somewhere else, whether that's with news or advice or articles or really in-depth um, deep dives. Um, and I know I keep going back to e-commerce because it's kind of my playing ground, but thinking about the entire e-commerce funnel, right? So it's not just about the purchase. It's the consideration phase. It's the research phase. It's everything. And being able to kind of fulfill and become um, 
a player in those spaces can really help you to, to increase traffic and sales through ways you wouldn't have seen otherwise. I have no idea whether I even answered your question, but uh, that's the answer I'm giving, <laughs> you, so. you raised some interesting <laughs> points. I guess, let me break it down into a couple of key areas because you said there about the different parts of the, the user journey, the funnel, where they're in that research mode and then that purchase mode and so on. And that's where... I'm guessing we're making a bit of a plug for buyer guides and for blog content, you know, high quality content, which if you're missing those and you're only attracting the people who are ready to buy right now. So that's a way of expanding the type of content you're getting into the search engines, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because although, you know, ranking for, um, you know, summer shorts or men's shorts or women's dresses and really kind of heavy keyword uh, intensity they're really difficult to rank for and you know someone who's new to the game was even been here a couple of years you're going to struggle to get on page one for something like that but that doesn't mean you couldn't rank for comparisons of this versus that um or should i you know advise or guides or cotton versus this or, or whatever it is you're in and then kind of capturing the audience that way and building your brand and, and building that awareness piece um so yeah Hundred percent. There's there's a lot of um, a lot of premise in content, but content is also this horribly overused word where someone just feels generating a blog post for the sake of, you know, by giving the Google gods a blog post, you're going to get rewarded for it, and it really doesn't work like that. It's got to be content that your users care about, the kind of content they didn't know they needed until they read or saw your video or whatever it was. That's the stuff that is gold. Um, yeah. Um, um- one good blog post, one good video is worth one a week for a year. Definitely. And that's one thing I'd always say to, to recommend if you're struggling for where to start in terms of generating that good content. Um, Google's um, people also search for section is brilliant. So whatever you search for, typically, as long as it's not really niche, um, there's, Google normally suggests plenty of different things. So again, um, if you search for things like summer holidays, which is probably the worst thing to search for right now because COVID. But if you did, you'd have things like best places to go or should I go abroad considering COVID is a thing, you know, using that kind of current affairs opportunity to find ways of building traffic, um, a database of people. Like, honestly, the content thing is so underrated um, in the world of SEO. And they're normally siloed as well, right? You've got tech SEO over here and a department in-house doing this. And then you've got your content and PR team over there and they don't speak. And the companies that allow them to speak are the ones that end up being prosperous in SEO. Oh, yeah, because that also gets us out of that hideous scenario where you spend ages working on something from an SEO perspective and then the CRO team or the website team or the PR team come in and tweak something and all of a sudden everything got wiped (laughs) off. Um, So, yeah, talking to each other is definitely a good thing. But what what I was trying to get you to, I wasn't aiming for content, I was aiming to get you to talk about the world of speed because that... That for me sits into the world of technical SEO, and we know it's a massive factor in how how Google um, chooses to rank us. So, so would you say speed is part of technical SEO? Absolutely, but I'd also say speed is not the end goal. So, to kind of, I know I gave a definition of technical SEO at the at the beginning, but I'd like to kind of just add another extension onto that, which is, what do your users want? Um, because You've got to remember, by definition, Google is designed to do exactly that, connect people who search to people who want something. Um, so if you're the website that's delivering what consumers or what customers or visitors want the most, then you're likely to get rewarded for that. So what I mean by that is making it fast, 
isn't going to fix your SEO if everything else is out of whack. Um, as in like, you know, your, your product pages don't look great or your pricing is off or your content's terrible. So fast, I think site speed has sometimes been, been made as this like, you know, golden arrow, um, or golden bullet, silver bullet, whatever you want to call it. And it's definitely complementary and it makes it better. But if your site's crap, making it fast is still going to make it crap. So, but what I would say is having a good site that's slow is almost just as bad. So speed is, is really important. It's kind of with SEO, you can't just focus on keywords. You can't just focus on link building. You can't just focus on the index, as we were talking about earlier. Um, you can't just can't just focus on speed. You, it's a bit like a stool with multiple legs, and if you make one of the legs too high, you're going to fall over. So you kind of have to bring them all up at the same speed. Yes, exactly. You just have to work out what what your um, what your quick wins are. I think. Honestly, to get buy-in for SEO, whether you're working house or agency level or you're, a, you know, you're independent like myself, just find the things that you can tweak quickly and get rewarded from brilliantly. So, you know, going in on day one and advising um, a speed audit or a, a, we need to make it fast is great. I love your ambition, but how? That sounds challenging. It sounds like a whole sprint slash epic just dedicated to site speed um while finding something in the page template which could be improved so it could be like a canonical tag which i know is is you know one of those fancy seo words but canonical tags are typically easier to employ or a, or a line change in robots.txt is going to be easier to get over the line than a, a massive you know speed project so yeah sometimes it's just kind of identifying opportunities and even though those big opportunities could give big rewards what are the things that we can change in one sprint or a couple of days that can actually move us forward. Again, what do your customers want? And then fulfill that. Yeah, because you can't, you really can't afford to look at SEO on its own now, can you? But I know there's there's one area that um, before we before we head into the next section of the of our chat, there's one thing that you said you wanted me to ask you a question on. So, site search. Why should we also be looking at our on-site search results? Okay, so you've been dropping keywords in. Um, throughout this right because keywords is the epitome of like seo right um but site search is so unloved and so underrated for two reasons one it's keyword gold it's literally what your users are searching for so look at that it's important because you know if they're searching for something and you want to optimize for it on your own site then hey there's an opportunity there to build that content or solve that problem or develop that solution um secondly so many brands just forget or uh, abandon or what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I had loads of bacon for breakfast. There we go. <laughs> Neglect. Highly or nutritious breakfast. I don't recommend it on the day of a podcast. Um, but yeah, neglect the fact that site search is a thing and to remove it from search engine indexes because um, it's a black hole of crawling typically especially if you've got filters so if you think about it this way your site search can be you can put an infinite number of queries in there and then you times infinity by the number of filters you have you can very quickly run into millions if not billions of of, um, of unwanted urls plus to use one example and i forget which retailer it was but it was a big clothing brand like asos they were indexing for uh something like ASOS is crap. <laughs> so someone had, had done an internal link or someone had done a backlink or something to that search query and they were ranking for their own keyword, which is great, but it was a really bad one. And that was because site search was just left wide open. So the general rule is, unless you have a very good reason to not do so, stop searching from accessing your internal site search. 
Oh, clever. So we look at the data to give ourselves great new ideas for products and for keywords and all the rest of it. But we just like we were saying about restricting what facets and filters, et cetera, the search engines can crawl. We don't let them crawl our search results. Exactly. And one last thing to add to that is a lot of people that have um, site search pay, you know, a third party solution for that and you pay per annual queries or per average over an entire year. Um, if you allow search engines to access all of those, then every time a search engine accesses a search URL, it adds to your account, it skews your reporting, it makes things more expensive. So for many reasons, just don't do it because um, it's going to cost you in one way or the other. Excellent advice. Right. Well, Luke, we're going to pause now for a reminder of our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the wider world of SEO. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. And if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? Well, that's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your contact list, send memorable emails, automate key messages and more. Way, way more. Whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Okay, Luke, so far we've gone deep into technical SEO one-on-one. Now you get to wow us with your insider knowledge about the whole of SEO. So to be clear, for the following questions, your answer can be anything to do with SEO, which of course does include technical SEO 101. So Luke, you ready for these? Ready. Let's have them. Okay. Let's start with SEO newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their first step with SEO, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? Twitter. SEO Twitter is an absolute goldmine. Can I plug a network? That's not even advice. But I would say, literally, get on Twitter. Uh, don't necessarily search for the hashtag SEO because it's full of crap, but just look for the authoritative people and follow them because they will give you news, advice, things to read, content, blogs, resources, thicker than any kind of RSS subscriber could do. So SEO Twitter is huge. Um, on top of that, I would say, don't think about SEO as just technical SEO. You have to start with, and I know I've said it a few times, but I can't emphasize enough how important it is. What does your customer want? Why is your site in the search engines? What have they come to you for? What does your brand mean? And reverse engineer that into technical SEO. So don't do SEO um, to demise your core values. It should entirely be the opposite way around. And I've seen it done far too many times. Resources wise, because I know that was the question you asked, um, I would say there is Screaming Frog. Go and get a copy of that. Play with that because that is literally your spanner in the world of, of SEO. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's me. That's a, that's a good starting point. And I love that Twitter tip because, you know, different sections of online marketing talk well on Twitter and SEO is probably the most giving, the most open, the most helpful group of people on Twitter I've ever come across. So a great place to start for those of you out there would be to follow each of our, our guests in this SEO sequence, because all of them are awesome on Twitter. So we'll make sure that we put links to all of them um, in the show notes for you. Right then, next question. Once you've started with SEO, of course, you've got to keep optimizing. So what's your favorite way to improve SEO performance? 
So for me, before I touch anything, I have to start with data because data feeds absolutely everything. And that could be conversion data. It could be uh, behavior data. Um, to give you one really good example, because at the end of the day, the C-suite does not care about SEO. Like most of the C-suite doesn't care about SEO, which is annoying and I hate to admit it, but it's true. The C-suite cares about profit and loss. How much money did it make? How much money did we lose? So sometimes you have to just put the SEO thing down and go and look at the thing that's burning the most. So to give you one point of example, in data I've looked at, I found an issue where it was costing us, um, the business, £30,000 a day in lost sales due to a, a dodgy error message that had been sitting around for about 18 months. So it was £30,000 a day we were losing that we didn't even realize we were losing until I happened to install some new software, um, have a look at what was going on, look at error messages and found there was a huge spike in an error message that was causing abandonment. Now, fixing that error has nothing to do with SEO technically, but that absolutely unlocked uh, the confidence in the business and the kind of authority in the business to just go SEO to the point where they just open the gates and says, do what you want. If that's what SEO does for the business, go and get it done. My point here is sometimes to be a good SEO, it's not all about SEO. It's about what the customer wants, right? So that's probably a really good example of how sometimes SEO isn't the immediate skill set. It's understanding the whole kind of plethora of analytics, data, conversion, and search. Yeah, because it's often the case that um, the SEO team are closer to the data than anyone else's. And you can win an awful lot of friends by fixing problems that aren't necessarily strictly in your remit. Yeah. Which does make life a lot easier in a company. Okay. Now, it's impossible to improve our marketing unless we're monitoring the performance. But the list of stuff we could monitor can be overwhelming. So what for you is the number one SEO KPI? Okay. I'm biased here because I'm in the world of e-commerce. I'm going to give two. Um, one is revenue because that is the lifeblood of, of most businesses. Um, and the second one is organic users, not just organic sessions. Um, especially if you run like a loyalty program where you have a really big, powerful brand, it's great to have a lot of organic sessions, but it's the number of users that you care about. Um, so those are the two kind of baseline KPIs that I say are really important. Fluctuations are great. And of course, drops aren't great, but they're not necessarily always your fault. So look at trends. For example, holidays, we said it earlier, it's going to be trending down and it might be picking up now, but some of these are not just your fault. Take a look at industries. And so lastly, to plug how I validate whether an increase or decrease is um, site specific or it's kind of like a wider global issue or something like that, Google Trends is great. Um, as a good starting point to get an idea of what's going on in the world and whether it's just you or everyone in that same um, vertical is experiencing the same issues. Great. More, more, more great advice, Luke. Thank you. Okay. Finally, it's crystal ball time. What's coming up in the next six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for in SEO? Okay. I love this question. Um, but for me, I think more tech giants stealing um, rep, not revenue, but stealing the sale from websites. So it wouldn't surprise me for the next six to 12 months, I see an ability to buy something off a website without ever accessing that website. So buying a product through Google shopping. 
And I don't just mean clicking the Google Shopping ad and going to the site, adding to basket and checkout. I mean the whole experience on Google itself. The same with Instagram. So being able to buy, check out on Instagram. We're already kind of seeing that with um, Shopify Shop, which I think is a terrible name, but the technology I think is great, um, which is almost like eBay for Shopify stores and never actually having to go to those Shopify stores to buy something. So everything is unanimous, standardized kind of like Amazon outside of Amazon. So I think a lot more of that on the big tech giants is going to be huge, Um, which is a bit of a double-edged sword because it means you can't give customers an immersive experience on brand and, and, you know, kind of build the whole reason why they should pay extra versus going to eBay, that kind of thing. Um, But the positive news is you may be able to win more sales that you may not have even seen before because you're now competing in ways that you, you didn't see before. I like it. That's proper crystal ball. I like it. Okay, Luke, we are nearly at the end of the show. So could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Yes. So fortunately enough for myself, I have a fairly unique name, Luke Carthy. So if you give me a Google, you can find me anywhere, really. But I'm on Twitter. Uh, you'd like to think so, considering I just plugged it massively. Um, but Mr. Luke Carthy on Twitter, LukeCarthy.com, LinkedIn, the usual places. And when the world gets back to normal, you can probably find me bouncing around a bunch of conferences, Brighton SEO and, and the SEO circuit and that sort of stuff. So yeah, come find me. No excuse. I have a feeling, Luke, you're going to be bouncing around any SEO event that happens <laughs> within, <laughs> within, within Europe, if not America as well. Because I, I know... You- you are you're one of those who's very eager to get out there again. So um, so there you go, guys. We will ha- put links to um, to all of those resources Luke mentioned in the show notes. And Luke, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I'm sure we will have opened a few people's eyes to the world of technical SEO and made them somewhat less fearful of it, maybe. Get them stuck in, in improving their indexing. So thanks so much for coming on and explaining it all. No problem. Thanks again for, uh, for having me, Chloe. It's been a blast. Thank you. Well, I hope we've removed some of your maybe confusion or fear of technical SEO. Um, I love those simple tips that Luke gave us there. And the two I think which, I mean, there were so many good, so much good advice in there, but the two that I think really resonated with me was following people or joining the, the SEO Twitter community. They are so giving and appreciative and helpful when you've got problems and share so much. It's amazing how much good stuff gets shared on Twitter in the SEO world. As I said, we have added links to each of our first four SEO guests Twitter handles in the show notes. So you can uh, you can start your SEO Twitter journal journey there. And the other one was Screaming Frog, not a tool I've ever used, but one I suspect I will be very shortly losing half a day to and uh, plugging the Keep Optimising website into to see how we're doing. Now, you can get links to all of those great things that uh, that Luke mentioned, together with notes on what we discussed and the full transcript of the episode by heading to keepoptimizing.com. And that's optimizing with an S, not a Z. And as part of my mission to help you improve your marketing, I've invited all our SEO specialists to join us for a Q&A webinar at the end of the month. During that, we'll at the very least be getting Luke and Christina to debate how far we should go with our pages created by our faceted navigation. But it's also your chance to get your questions answered. To get yourself registered for the webinar, just go to keepoptimizing.com and you will find out all the details. And if you're listening to this after the webinar happened, then don't worry, you can still catch that replay. Just head to keepoptimizing.com with an S not a Z. Now, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Keep Optimizing podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, then please do check out episode seven once it's available. 
because that's where I'm joined by Christina Azarenko, where we're talking about the other side of filters and facets and how you can turn them into a positive thing for your business, how you can use them to target those long tail keywords with the buyer intent, the ones that actually bring you buyers. She shares an amazing eight step framework. So you really should tune in for that one. And I would love your help to spread the word about the Keep Optimising podcast. So we're running a launch competition to uh, to reward you for doing just that. So thank you for holding out right to the end to find out how you can enter our competition to win a Keep Optimising podcast t-shirt, because we're going to be giving away a t-shirt every week in August to someone who's posted what they think of the show on social media. You can get one entry into the competition by sharing on Twitter or Instagram what you think of this show, including the hashtag Keep Optimising, or... You can maximise your chances of winning by getting three entries and you do that by finding us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate and review, then screen grab your review and share it on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Keep Optimising. Simple as that. We're gathering up all the entries. We'll be picking one winner every Wednesday until the 2nd of September 2020. You can find all the details of how to do those tasks and how to enter by going to keepoptimising.com. Have a great week and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you to keep optimizing your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimizing at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S, not a Z.